What's up everybody out there? I'm Stephen Billings and we're here for another episode of Lights Camera News here on Film Club Central. And it's where we talk the the week's worth of the past week's worth of news. Uh, we're gonna try to hit as much as we can. We had a lot of news come out this week. And um, here with me today, I have um, from the Best Damn Movie Show, Mr. Dan Skip Allen. Dan, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Cannot wait to talk about all the news coming out at D23 yesterday. And we had some cool trailers that popped as well. Uh, so it's going to be a fun uh, discussion. Yeah. Uh, also, we're supposed to have Andrew Cabral. He might pop in on us here in the middle of the show somewhere. So we'll see if he comes in. But before we get into the uh, trailer roundup, we do have some sad news um, just today, just breaking here in the last couple hours. Um, one of the, the, the most iconic horror directors of all time, um, George Romero passed away um, at 77, and um, he was fighting. He was having time. He was fighting lung cancer. Uh, apparently, it was very, very short, very aggressive, and uh, he passed away in his sleep. Um, George Romero. Uh, he, Dan, were you into his films? Did you, did you have anything you really liked about his films? Or, well, I mean, I'm not a big horror movie fan per se, but I do like a good horror movie. In his movies were at the forefront of the horror movie genre, really. Before him, the horror movies kind of were campy, like them and, and, you know, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and some of these. They were kind of cool, some of the campy, you know, uh, giant ants and giant this and whatever. But he really made horror movies into a genre where you could take it seriously. And he made the blood real, the makeup real. He made it look like this could actually happen in real life. And so in, in a lot of sense, in the horror genre, he was a pioneer way before his time. And whether you like horror movies, if you don't like horror movies, this guy is one of the respected filmmakers of his era because he had so many people come after him, people like Wes Craven and John Carpenter and so many all these other great horror directors that came after him. And you know they were influenced by some of his work. And that's what, what why it's it's sad to see a guy like that go. And and you're gonna see as the days and weeks go by, you're gonna start seeing a lot of folks give their appreciation for what he has done, especially on TV shows like The Walking Dead and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, um, he definitely has a very big influence on The Walking Dead. I, I think I've heard that he's not a big fan of that show though, just because he feels like it spends so much time on kind of the soap opera aspect of the whole you know that it's about the people more than it is about the zombies but but I, th I think you can still definitely see the clear influence there um and you know if you, if you guys don't know he's he's responsible for making the original night of the living dead you know dawn of the dead land of the dead he did all these zombie films he's also done films like the crazies the original crazies um and it's just like you said very influential definitely a pioneer of the genre um, and I think, you know, he hasn't done a film in a while. He's kind of been out of the industry. Uh, I think the last film he directed was in 2009. So he's kind of like, it's been away. He's been away from the scene for a while, but he, I think he's always been just in there being creative and it's just sad to see somebody go. I'm still relatively young. I mean, 77 isn't really old anymore. I mean, people, you know, Martin Scorsese just told, turned 80, you know, it's like these guys, it's like, it's sad to see these guys go, you know, guys you grew up with and, and um, he definitely will be missed. Um, any final words about George Romero? Yeah, it's too bad we didn't have somebody that was a bigger fan of him on the show so they could 
they could get, tell a little bit more about how much he influenced them as a movie fan and so forth. And, you know, cause I know I, I'm not, I'm not sure, but wasn't your friend Robert a huge, huge fan of, I was going to say Robert would be the perfect person. He's, he's uh, not only a big horror fan, but I know he's, he's a big zombie. It, George Romero. Um, I'm pretty sure that um, one of his favorite people, um, Lloyd Kaufman, who's the trauma guy. Uh, I think they're all kind of, I think they know each other. They're kind of tight, but um, yeah, he would be the perfect person to talk about this. Um, but that's where we're going to end it here with that. Um, rest in peace, George Romero. Um, and now we're going to move on to our trailer roundup. And the first trailer we're going to look at um, is one that uh, I've been waiting to see for a while because when I first heard about uh, Gary Oldman playing Winston Churchill and seeing the first photo of him in that makeup, I was like, dude, this is this is going to be epic. And it's going to be this. This is obviously going to be an Oscar push because, you know, that makeup alone, whenever somebody goes that far into a character, it's it's pretty clear their intentions. And now we finally got the trailer, and it's called The Darkest Hour is the name of the film. And um, Dan, what did you think of this trailer? I'll tell you what. When I saw this trailer and I saw Gary Oldman doing what Gary Oldman does, but in the guise of Winston Churchill, I was like, yes, please. December, get here sooner. I want to see this film, you know. And, you know, this, the, the trailer talks about how Winston Churchill wasn't a non-wartime leader. He was a wartime leader. And so the movie takes place pretty much during World War II and what he did to save England and to defend his those British Isles of, you know, England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, those Isles. And... Um, it, 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 it watching that trailer and and Gary Gary Oldman's performance gave me chills and I just cannot wait for that movie to come. I'm I've been I've been itching for Gary Oldman to get an Oscar nomination or or winning win one for something and I think this might be his best chance in years. Yeah, uh, definitely. I uh, I've I, there's been a lot of performances over his career that that uh, I've been like, why didn't he get nominated there? Why didn't, you know, like a lot of supporting roles, a lot of different roles like that. And, and this looks possibly to be that time where we finally maybe see Gary Oldman win, you know, not, you know, partially for maybe his career worth of work too. You know, a lot of times you see actors who've been around the industry for a while, been nominated before and never win. And then now, they finally put out a really great performance and then they get that recognition for kind of more of their career, even if the performance is great. Cause you know, who else is going to have a great performance this year? Daniel day Lewis. Um, <laughs> uh, so anytime Daniel day Lewis is in a movie, you kind of feel like, well, it's Daniel day Lewis's year again, probably. Um, <laughs> but who knows? Uh, Andrew has now popped in. Andrew Cabral. How you doing, Andrew? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I had some computer problems unexpected but i'm yeah. here and what are we talking about right now we're, we're we're talking about the darkest hour trailer i kind of figured when you were talking about oscars because i am currently penciling in gary oldman as we speak i think this film has all of the hallmarks that oscar films tend to have it's a period piece it's about a famous person it's a veteran actor who is going through some type of physical change i mean it's got all of those i mean and it's it's and it also looks very good i mean it 
you you one can make an os uh, an argument that it could be Oscar Brady, but a lot of films that get nominated tend to be. But I think it looks great. I mean, Gary Oldman would be getting his second nomination. I think he probably should have a lot more. But yeah, he looks really good in this role. I mean, just very commanding, very powerful, kind of like Churchill was. Yeah, and also um, this film is directed by Joe Wright, who's done other films like The Atonement. Uh, he did Pan, which was not not good. I don't think anybody cared to see that movie either. Um, but he is, I think he is a very good director. I just think maybe he's, he's made a couple bad choices here and there, but, um, I think he did, did he do Pride and Prejudice? Uh, did that too. So he's a good filmmaker. He's a good film, a good dramatic filmmaker. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I'm with you guys. I'm very interested to see where this goes. So let's, uh, can't wait to get to December, see when this comes out. Uh, the next trailer we're going to talk about is one that jumped out at us at, at D23. This is a big one for Disney. Um, and this is, uh, Ava DuVernay's uh, big movie with Disney called A Wrinkle in Time. Now, I'm not very familiar. Any of you guys familiar with the the the, the source material or the, uh, what this is about? No, I'll, I'll have to say uh, I did not read this book, so I'm not familiar with this uh, material whatsoever. Andrew, you, you read this? Or? I did not read this book, but this book was really popular when I was in elementary school in the 90s. Um, and I think there was some type of TV movie based on it because it is a book series. So, I mean, with this, if this film does well, I kind of assume they want to launch a franchise because that's what, that's what everyone likes to do. That's what Disney does. Disney makes, that's the, that's what they're in the business of. Um, but uh, based off the trailer, what, what I kind of get is that it seems that um, you've got the main character, you have these kids that are the main characters and one, their, their father is this scientist that is, uh, somehow got lost in time somewhere or something like that. It, it, the, 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 I tell you, the thing that excites me about this, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of a lot of uh, some of the live action Disney stuff. That's not, um, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one, or like the first national. Like a lot of times, they miss on them like live action movies. Um, and, but this has got a very distinct visual style, um, and it looks very creative. Um, and it, it, it kind of watching it, I just watched it again before this, and it kind of excites me. It looks something very unique and different. Um, Ava DuVernay's got something really, something cooking here. I think that I think people might be really might be worth definitely checking out. And and I love Chris Pine. Chris Pine's been making a lot of interesting choices. Dan, what did you think of this trailer? I'll tell you what. I mean, first of all, you got to look at like you said, Ava DuVernay. You know, after after doing Selma. You know, a lot of people wanted to see what her next project was going to be. And she chose, she she was asked to do one of the Marvel films. I mean, she's, she's had a couple different films that offers, and she chose this one. And then you got to look at the cast, the people around that that she surrounded herself with in the film, with Oprah and Reese Witherspoon and um, of Indian actress uh, Mindy Kaling and Chris Pine and people like that. So you see a good cast around her. And then you, you look at the trailer and you're like, wow, they, they don't give anything away in this trailer. I have no idea what the heck this movie is about. And that's a good thing. But I'm very interested in it because I don't know what it's about. I didn't read the book. And it looks beautiful. The trailer looks gorgeous. So those three, those reasons right there have got me excited for this trailer and this movie. And I'm hoping Disney can come back from some of their other movies like 
John Carter from Mars or Tomorrowland where they didn't do that well, you know, and so maybe this is another property that they, they got and we'll, we'll see what happens. Andrew, what did you think? I thought it was a great trailer. If anything, it was surprising because we heard whispers that, oh, they're going to unveil a trailer at D23. What are we going to see? And I, for one, was kind of uh, pleasantly surprised by it because of possible because I wasn't expecting it. But yeah, Ava DuVernay, I think, is an immensely talented director. Just watch Selma. That film is exquisitely well-directed. She also did the, the Netflix documentary 13th about, kind of, about the history of incarceration of minorities in this country, which was a, a great documentary. Um, and this is kind of an unprecedented thing because I believe this is the highest budgeted uh, film ever by a female uh, African-American director. So it's, it's something that hopefully is a gateway to more of those things. And also, I have to say, it, it's a known property amongst many people. Maybe not us, because we didn't read the book, but I know a lot of people who have, re who have read the book and are really excited for this. And I haven't read it, and I'm excited for it. But yeah, the cast is very diverse, like you guys have been saying, with, with Oprah and Reese Witherspoon, Michael Pena's in the film, Mindy Kaling's in the film. Uh, Gugu and Bapa Raw is in the film. This is a very interesting movie. It just visually, it looks wild and it looks ambitious, which is kind of what I want to see from from a large budget film. You know, go big, go home. Yeah, like that. My my favorite part was the part where at the beginning where Chris Pine's like in a classroom and he's talking and then he like says something and then it pops to him in some weird room that's like him sitting and he's like, obviously just doesn't know where the hell he is. Like it was, it's, it's, it's just really weird for a Disney movie to do, like do something very much like, like Kubrick, like Stanley Kubrick kind of stuff. Like it looks that weird. Like kind of like. It, it looked, I mean, there was one point where I thought I was seeing like, like just people floating on clouds and stuff. And I was like, this is crazy. And it has to do with time travel and probably space time continuum and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, I'm I can't wait for this. Definitely. Definitely. All right, so moving on from that, our last uh, kind of trailer. This is more of what we call a scissor reel. Uh, scissor reel. Uh, big, you know, Star Wars Last Jedi coming out in December. Uh, everybody's super excited, and I know I am. And um, at D23, they decided to, to release a behind-the-scenes of the making of The Last Jedi, and this, this thing had a lot of fantastic nuggets in it, man. Um, for me, my favorite parts were the creatures. Like, a lot of these new creatures you're seeing – just looked amazing, man. I, I, I just, I know, I, I just, I, I know I had a smile on my face the whole time. Andrew, what did you think of this? Scissor oh, I, I loved it. I mean, they did the same thing for Force Awakens. They did the same thing for Rogue One. Yeah, this is something I, they're probably going to do for Episode Nine as well, and maybe the Han Solo movie, whenever they can fix that thing. But yeah, I, I, I'm a huge filmmaking uh enthusiast i love the behind the scenes stuff i love the way the movies were made so this is kind of a, a very small scissor reel glimpse behind the curtain if you will of just how elaborate star wars is when it comes to production and all the stuff they were saying i thought was really intriguing um they constantly said you know this is going to be different than anything you've seen before in star wars ryan johnson really took uh the the franchise in a new direction and you got to see a lot of your favorites, plus some new people in there. And you got to see some of the new creatures and planets and stuff like that. And, of course, you got to see Carrie Fisher. And when she showed up on screen, it was very emotional because you do realize that this is the last time 
we will see uh, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia. So they're probably going to um, utilize her a lot to kind of remind people how much she means to Star Wars, which is which is kind of appropriate. Dan, what did you think? I'll tell you what. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, Benicio del Toro. It was good to see him in not a very big rigs, but a little glimpse of him. Laura Dern looked really cool, and I'm still wondering if she's playing a, a character out of Bloodline, the book Bloodline. I had got a, uh, you know, they've been doing a little bit of that cross promotion with Saul Guerrero and stuff like that. So I'm wondering if she's playing a character from Bloodline. Um, obviously, what you guys said, the creatures, they wanted to show us that the world is not just Han, Leia, Luke. Chewy and stuff. It's vast. It's got different creatures. It's got different planets. That whole red dust scene that that they showed because we saw that that part in the previous trailer. I want to know where the heck that planet is. That looks really interesting. That whole flying up of the red dust and stuff. That that was kind of interesting. Um, and then of course Luke was on a couple different uh, different um, backgrounds with with with. I don't know if he's still on Skellig Michael Island on both of the scenes, but he was wearing different clothes in a couple of different scenes. And so I want to see where the, where, where the Luke character is going to be going. And, and from the beginning, we know it's probably going to start off with him and Ray at the beginning. And then you got Ray running. So maybe she's doing some of her training. Who knows? Obviously we're going to get some training with Ray. So, but um, I, I like um, Oscar Isaac's uh, Poe. I'm a big fan. I want I want more Poe. I want more, Captain Phasma. We got to see a Captain Phasma scene in there. So I know they really underused Captain Phasma a lot in the last one. So we'll see. They look good. It was yeah, good. I like it. It's super exciting. I, I, uh, I'll probably watch this another 10 more times before I'm done with it. And then probably watch it 10 more times in a month from now or something. Just keep keep myself, you know, pumped. Because uh, it's one of the only films I get. Star Wars is the only thing that gets me hyped. I try to stay low expectations for most things. But Star Wars, I can't help it. They get me. They get me on the inside. You know, I can't help it. But um, all right. Well, now we're going to move on to our news stories. Uh, we got a lot of them. We're going to try to go through these as quick as we can. We don't want to make this show go too long. Um, there was a lot of stuff that came out of D23, but a lot of the stuff was not given to the public. So we don't really have – I'm not going to go through a lot of this stuff that um, the public doesn't really know. I'm not going to sit here and read other people's descriptions of what they saw. So we're going to talk about the stuff that we can really talk about here. Um, earlier this week, um, we got some news about Matt Reeves um, starting from scratch. They're taking the script that Ben Affleck did, and they're like, eh, we're going to set fire to that. Let's start over a little bit. Let's do this. Let's do this again. Um, and you know what? I'm all right with that because Matt Reeves has proven himself starting, you know, going back to Cloverfield, uh, you know, let me in. And these two apes films, they're all fantastic movies. Uh, and yeah, I want to, and he's wanting to do a film noir version. Andrew knows film noir fans. I want to see a film noir Batman. Um, Andrew, what do you think of this news? Uh, initially I was like a little, not apprehensive, but I'm like, man, Ben Affleck really probably worked hard on that. We all heard him, him talking about it. But and then and then I saw War for the Planet of the Apes, and I was like, let Matt Reeves do whatever he wants. If he's if he is bringing out scripts like this for a a an, uh, a Planet of the Apes franchise, I could only imagine what he has in store for the Batman. So I can't wait to see his version of the Batman and just 
what he what his version of the character is going to be. I'm assuming there's going to be a lot of carryover from Batman v Superman. You can't just you know pull a whole 180 and go all Joel Schumacher with it in a in a in a crazy direction. That's unbelievably terrible. But I I have a feeling that they want to start over from scratch. They're doing more course correction. You know, Wonder the response from Wonder Woman probably has. Uh, a, 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 an impact on that. Of course, we hear about all of these changes they're doing with Justice League, um, with unfortunately uh, Joss Whedon taking over because of um, Scott Snyder's personal tragedy and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to see where this is going forward, but we'll see what Justice League is, what's the tone, what's the feel of that, and then we'll see how the Batman is in that, and maybe that dictates the way Matt Reeves goes, because, you know, they all must be talking to one another because this all has to kind of make sense, you know, totally and character-wise and stuff. So yeah, I am I am all aboard Matt Reeves doing this. I hope he does stick to this project all the way to the end. For some reason at Warner Brothers, they keep shuffling directors in and out of their projects. So hopefully this is, this, Matt Reeves is here to stay. Yes, most definitely. Uh, Dan, what did you think of this news? Well, I mean, I think that with the whole directors leaving and whatnot, it's hard to it's hard to say that oh you're a new director you're going to take over somebody else's project that they already had written and, and, and whatnot and Ben Affleck and Chris Terrio created the script and had the whole story of what they wanted to do now Ben Affleck's not the director so to have Ben Affleck Matt Reeve direct their script I I don't think it I don't think it would work and I think this whole noir field I think that's that's really what Batman is. The the the, the uh, essence of what the character of Batman is is noir. If you want you want that dark kind of, and they're already in a dark universe. This whole this whole DCEU is already dark. I I want I want the detective side of it. I want I want a really cool mystery. You know, and I, and I'd be I'd be I'd be through the roof if they announced the Riddler as a as a like a as a mystery, as a, like a guy behind this big mystery, you know, instead of the goofy Riddler we got with Jim Carrey. I don't get me wrong. I'm a Jim Carrey fan. I, I liked it, but I don't, that's not the, that's not the Riddler. And I would love to see the Riddler in some of the later comics of DC that they've done. And there's some really good mysteries involving the Riddler. And I'd love to see the Riddler be the villain in this movie and have a real true detective Batman story set in a noir uh, setting like that. I think it would be great. So, and like you said, Matt Reeves, I mean, right now he's on fire. I, I can't wait to see what he can do. Yeah. There, there's a lot of potential ways they could go with this. Um, like you said, inherently Batman's very film noirish. He's got a few different villains that you could really plug in there from, from a, a Riddler to a, you know, a hush or maybe like, uh, somebody like uh, you got the whole uh, what is it the 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 owls night of the owls or court of the owls storyline um, that is a big storyline um, so yeah I mean there's many ways it could go but Matt Reeves I think is definitely the guy to do it um, can't wait to see what he does with it our next topic uh, is going to be one that I saw come out it's kind of kind of came out of nowhere uh, Blake Lively uh, is apparently going to be starring in a spy franchise produced by uh, the James Bond producers. And uh, this seems to be something that they're looking to plan for many films, uh, like a separate James Bond, but a fe their female James Bond. I mean, 
and it seems to be something they're really setting up and they think Blake Lively is the one to push this forward. Um, so there isn't many details about um, what this will be about, but they're, they, I think they're saying that they're supposed to start filming sometime this year. Um, what do you guys think of this news? Uh, Dan, what do you think of this idea of Blake Lively uh, being the, the star of a spy franchise? I'm not sure about this. Um, I'll tell you what. I could look at Blake Lively all day long, and I absolutely loved her in The Shadows, and I liked her in Green, Green Lantern. And, but I, after watching Charlize Theron in Atomic Blonde, I just cannot see Blake Lively in a, in a franchise like this, in a movie like this where she's this spy character. We've seen like um, um, Angelina Jolie, and, we, and now we get, uh, we've, we've seen uh, Scarlett Johansson and stuff like this, and now we get Charlize Theron. I just can't picture Blake Lively in that kind of um, setting of a movie. I just, I just don't get it. I don't, I don't know where, where this all came from. Um, I'm a fan of hers. Don't get me wrong. I'm a fan of Blake Lively, and I, and I really like her as an actress. Uh, I just don't think this is the right thing for her. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think I agree with you. Like, I don't, I don't dislike Blake Lively. Um, I've seen her in a few of her movies. Um, the one, The Age of Adeline, I thought she was pretty good in that movie. Um, but it just doesn't show that range. I'll tell you what, in The Shallows, I wasn't impressed with her, though. Um, I found a lot of her reactions to the fit. The, the, she's not, she, I didn't find that she was good at conveying fear. Um, I thought she, she, uh, she had a hard time with that, um, like facial expression wise. I didn't, I, she didn't make me believe that she was afraid. Um, but I don't know. Andrew, what did you think of this? Um, I was actually doing some quick research earlier, and it's interesting because I was right on track with what you guys were saying. Like, oh, I don't know about this. You know, I, I, I'm all for female kick ass stars. I mean, I, I love Furiosa, Charlie Theron. I mean, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I know it's TV, but still female action kick-ass people but i was doing it and it is going to be based on a series of books um the film is going to be directed by reed morano who is a great cinematographer she actually just directed a few episodes of the hands the handmaiden on on hulu and it, the movie is going to be called the rhythm section and apparently there are other several books in the series so i think they're trying to franchise it you know shocking shockingly enough to try to franchise it, which is what every studio seems to do these days. But yet, yeah, the, the Blake Lively casting is questionable to me because I hear the character may be British or something like that, and I'm like, oh, Blake Lively with a British accent, I don't know if that's going to quite work. I'll say this, Blake Lively can be a great actress in the right roles. If you've seen The Town, uh, a film directed by Ben Affleck, who we were kind of just talking about, she is great in that film. I think the acting in that film is great in general, but I am cautiously optimistic about this because I really want it to be great, just not only for her sake, but just because I want to see great action heroine films. So, yeah, I'm a little apprehensive, kind of like you guys, but I, I, I perked up a little bit about it when I heard kind of the more particulars of it. It is somebody who is uh, an assassin who, who's going on revenge. Uh, that is kind of the basic uh, premise of the film. And I like a good revenge story, so I'm kind of intrigued there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we're I think we're all definitely uh, we're not trying to poop on this movie, but uh, this idea, but it, it's yeah, cautiously optimistic. Yeah, sure, that's the way we'll go with that. Um, 
So moving on, uh, this one's a very tasty subject. I, I can't wait to talk about this <laughs> one. Um, Quentin Tarantino uh, apparently is uh, looking to take his uh, direction towards the Manson family murders uh, as a subject for his new film. Um, we're not really sure exactly what part of this uh, is going to be in his movie. We don't know if this is going to be more towards fact. A lot of his movies takes uh, times in history and then he puts his own spin on it. So we got a couple, we got a few actors that have been in the mix. Brad Pitt is, is being thrown around Jennifer Lawrence. We've even had, um, Margot Robbie, uh, being thrown in there for Sharon Tate, possibly. We're not really sure, but to me, this sounds like a very interesting, uh, film for Tarantino to do, especially the time period, because I, I think seeing him do a movie from, from like the seventies era, era, stuff like that will be really cool. Um, Andrew, what did you think of this news? This was extremely intriguing because not only of the subject matter, but that it would be handled by someone like Quentin Tarantino, who is not a very uh, subtle director in any way, if you've seen his films. And that's not really a knock on him. It's just this situation I still think is rather delicate. I mean, Charles Manson's still in prison. I mean, people still talk about the the these murders and how gruesome they were. I mean... Roman Polanski, of course, um, being his wife and whatnot. And this is an interesting subject. I don't know which way Tarantino is going to go with it. My guess is, is it's going to be his own his own version of a situation like this. Like he almost use uh, that incident as framework for perhaps a fictional story. That's just my guess. Uh, based on you know what he did with Inglorious Bastards, I mean, that was something that was, you know, ninety percent like ninety nine percent fiction, but it was also based on like real people, you know, Hitler and the Nazis, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I I will of course see the film. I'll see anything Quentin Tarantino does. I mean, he still says he's only doing ten movies, so this could be one of his last movies potentially. So yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah, uh, you know, thinking about uh, Django, thinking about that the all the uh, the scene with the guys with the all, with all the bags on their heads, maybe that'll be the connection. And it's like the movie will be about cults. This movie will be about cults, and and like maybe you'll have some connection there with this, you know, through that. But um, Dan, what did you think of this news? I uh, you know I was uh, pretty. I don't know. I honestly don't know what to think about this. I. I I don't know if I'm interested in this at all. I don't know if I'm interested in seeing this story to begin. I, I, I think Quentin Tarantino is a talented director, but I question some of the things he's he's doing. The Hateful Eight, I just don't believe was was the next follow up to Django Unchained. I don't think he should do this. And you know, I like the fact that he likes to want he wants to work with some of his other actors that he worked with before Brad Pitt, Samuel L. Jackson, and then get people that he hasn't, Margot Robbie and Jennifer Lawrence. But I, I'll be honest with you, until I see a trailer or if I see a synopsis of what the movie is going to be about, I'm not really interested in this right now. It just doesn't uh, interest me at all. All right, all right. Well, you're weird, Dan. We know you're a little weird. It's cool. It's cool. We'll, we'll forgive you on this. But um, yeah, I, I think me and me and Andrew are, very, are definitely intrigued on this. Dan's like, eh, I'm not sure. But we'll move on. Uh, our next topic is uh, Josh Cooley. 
who is was uh, has been on for as co-director for the Toy Story Four, has now become the only director. Um, Mr. Uh, Lassiter, John Lassiter, has stepped down as part of one of the directors of Toy Story Four, and now Josh Cooley is the only director. Uh, but he's of course going to stay on as executive producer. Um, what do you guys think of this? I mean, I, honestly, personally, I, I, I'm not I'm not on board completely yet with the idea of another Toy Story film because I haven't seen enough. Um, but to see Lasseter come off the project again, like he didn't do the third film. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, Dan, what do you think? Well, I'll tell you, um, based on Cars, I know that's not the best thing to base it off of, but – and based on Car uh, Toy Story three, I wasn't a big fan of Toy Story three, so I don't I don't know if um, I would have wanted to see another Toy Story movie. But because of what they did with Cars and what they're doing with with this film, I love the fact that they're taking people from within Pixar and promoting them up the ranks. And the guy was an intern; he was an intern. And then he goes, he rises to the ranks. And he was originally going to co-direct this with John Lasseter. And John Lasseter, based on whatever reasons, he chose not to. And he's given the whole reins to these this guy. And the same thing with Cars. The, the Cars director was a first-time director as well. And he came up through the ranks of Pixar. So based on that, I like this. And I want to see some of these new directors get chances with Pixar. So, so that gives some new blood, some new ideas. And maybe this will translate into different other new movies. You know, by doing Cars 3 and Toy Story 4, we might get some other ideas down the pipe. And so I, I, buy, I, I buy this. I, I, I'm looking forward to it. Not that I'm looking forward to seeing these characters again, but just to see a movie and to see what this kid can do. And, um, and, and I'm glad to see these guys are being promoted through the ranks. All right, all right. Andrew, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, it's always nice to have fresh blood or fresh infusion of ideas and things like that. I'm I'm kind of glad they're letting this guy kind of prove his worth. I mean, they're giving him kind of they're giving him the keys to the, one of the bigger Pixar franchises. I mean, Toy Story really started it all. It is the bedrock of Pixar, basically. And I, I I'm kind of with Steven also, where if they didn't make a Toy Story four, I'd be perfectly fine. I am of the majority who love Toy Story 3, unlike some others, and and I think that it ended perfectly. It ended the story arc of the toys. It ended the story arc, really, of their relationship with Andy. I mean, are they, is this Toy Story 4 essentially going to be the first film in a new trilogy of, you know, the adventures with the toys? And I'm like, I'm assuming that's the case, because you can't just have a fourth film with, like, with a new with a new kid and not continue it, you know Disney loves franchises. That seems to be the theme of this episode. But yeah, I like the fact that they're giving this guy the chance. He did a voice on Inside Out, so he knows kind of the the Disney Pixar world very well. And like Dan said, he was an intern, so we got to see you know the ins and outs, the daily grind of what it is to work at Disney slash Pixar. So yeah, I let him let him try to prove his mettle. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, I, I'm definitely with both of you about um, giving some new guys some new ch some chances. Definitely interested, but still don't know if I care to see another Toy Story. But of course, I'll be in line to see it. Um, moving on, 
another Disney story, which is like every story we have. Um, Tim Burton's Dumbo film has now uh, is set for a 2019 release date. And we got Colin Farrell, we got Michael Keaton, Danny DeVito, and Eva Green all set to be in this film. Um, I'll be honest with you, I have not seen Dumbo since I was a child. I barely remember the movie. I know that it's way darker uh, of a kid's film than most people realize. So I'm glad to see some of these actors who have done some very dark things uh, in this movie. So maybe they will. And of course, even though I'm not a huge Tim Burton fan, he will probably make this movie darker than it than, as it should be. So, uh, Andrew, what do you do? You, are you do you care about this movie? Um, oh, do you like the casting? Yeah, I mean, I'm half. Half. Before the casting, I was really not interested. But then, okay, you're throwing names at me like Colin Farrell and Eva Green. And I'm like, okay, I can get on board with that. But yet again, is this going to be a CGI throw-up fest like Alice in Wonderland was? And and its subsequent sequel that Tim Burton did not direct, but he did produce, and it had his fingerprints all over it. You know, probably not, not the best fingerprints. And I'm very hot and cold when it comes to Tim Burton as a director. I mean, he's he's been working with Disney now for years. So, I mean, he, he obviously has a good relationship with them. And I'm just really curious why of all of their Disney properties, they would go with Dumbo. I mean, it is not one that is it, one of their peak ones. It's it's one a lot of people know or have heard of or watched, like Steven said, when they were a kid. But it's not The Lion King. It's not Jungle Book. It's not Aladdin. You know, those are the bigger ones that we're going to see, see names that, that they're actually doing live action. I don't think we need a live action Dumbo. It's, it's, it's or it's a story about a an elephant who feels ostracized because he's different i mean and how how can you stretch that into a longer feature than we already got in the animated film without you know just stuffing it full of nonsensical fluff you know what i mean but i guess that's what tim burton's got to figure out i know he's already in pre-production on it so he's gonna have plenty of time to work on this film so yeah i'm i'm very iffy iffy about it well, we know we know with a lot of these. I mean, like we've only gotten a few of these live action remakes, um, but we know so far that they kind of almost stick to script. They basically do copies of the animated versions, which to me is almost unnecessary. Not that I hate the movies; I did like Beauty and the Beast, but it's basically a carbon copy. Why did they need to make it? I don't know. It made a lot of money. That's why. Dan, what did you think? Well, I like the casting. Um, it's good to see Michael Keaton work with Tim Burton again. Um, I think, it, you know, going off of uh, Beauty and the Beast, they added like a half hour to Beauty and the Beast. So they added some dance numbers. They added some of Gaston's backstory. So maybe they're going to turn this into a longer movie, but maybe there's going to be maybe some persecution issues with animals. You're dealing with circuses and some of the treatment of animals. We had Water for Elephants a few years ago, which is another movie about elephants and, and being in a circus and how they could be mistreated and so forth. So maybe they're going to go that route with um, Dumbo. Who knows? It's uh, Tim Burton's a dark director. He, he, he has that kind of dark feeling to his films, and this is a dark story to begin with. And, you know, his new muse is Ava Green and is one of his old people that he worked with, uh, Michael Keaton. So I, I give it a chance. I want to I see what he... he he has up up his sleeves and you never know maybe this is a kind of like 
one for you guys, and then the next one will be one for him. You know, he's doing that one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me kind of deal. And maybe he's going to go do something more up his alley, and his next film will go back to the uh, the previous genre. What was the movie he did this past year, uh, last year? Um, Pedigrees. Uh, yeah, Mrs. Peregrine School for uh, Peculiar Children. There's sequels. There's talk about a sequel because that made money. So maybe his way of doing it is, well, I'll do this for Disney. Maybe I can get some money from Disney and we can go back and do a sequel of Miss Peregrine. Who knows? You just don't know what, what, what he's got in stores. But I'll give it a chance. You know, I mean, all these Disney remakes are interesting. I mean, whoever thought um, the, 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 green, the Green Dragon, Peach Dragon, was going to be good. And it turned out to be a really good movie, you know? So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, t even though I'm not a big fan of Tim Burton, his movies tend to make pretty good amounts of money. So I don't know that he needs to do one for them and one for him. I think he can kind of do what he wants as long as they they're on board with it, because um, he makes money. I mean, he they. I mean, as long as he ke his movies keep making money, he can kind of do what he wants. I think he wants to do these movies and you know, put his spin on it. So. We'll see how it is. I'm always, I'm, I'm never a person that's gonna not check something out at least because you don't have a reason to talk about it unless you actually watch the movie. So we'll, we'll, we'll check that out in 2019. But uh, to a lot, another adaptation of a animated film that was part of my childhood, um, Aladdin has uh, now finally got its casting. Uh, which earlier this week we'd got all this hoopla about they can't find the people to play. Jasmine and Aladdin and their the search has been awful and blah 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 well apparently that was all a lie and we got our, our Aladdin played by Mena Mesacloud I can't say their names and Naomi Scott is playing Jasmine and they have now confirmed that Will Smith is playing the genie um <laughs> wow uh so uh Dan what do you think of this casting news well, I mean, going back to the whole the, the shroud of secrecy. Oh, we can't find it. Scour, scouring the world for the for these characters, and we we had heard that Naomi Scott was already in the bag, even though that rumor about oh they couldn't find uh, Jasmine and Aladdin and all this stuff. We it had it had come down through different couple of different news sources that Naomi Scott was gonna be Jasmine, but they couldn't find Aladdin, and that the whole. Aladdin thing, I mean, of course, you know, I'm a big fan of Dev Patel, and everybody was saying, oh, it should be Dev Patel, it should be Riz Ahmed, this or that. And I think the reason why neither one of those guys got it is probably because they can't sing. And this Mina Musad guy, I guess he's a he's got some Bollywood experience singing, and Bollywood movies are a little bit out there. Andrew could tell you that. He's a, a fan of a certain trilogy that we talked about the other day. And they have a lot of singing and dancing in, in these Bollywood movies. So then maybe he found this guy and he could sing and he could dance. And that's what they were looking for us. A sing, a song and dance man, because Aladdin there's a lot of singing and there's a lot of dancing. Now that now Will Smith is the genie. I mean, in his heyday, if they said, Oh, we're going to do a remake of the Aladdin of Aladdin. And we're going to cast Will Smith as the genie in his heyday. I'd say, all right, great. He's funny. He's he's got a lot of quips. He's he's fast paced with his dialogue. But now today, I mean, I, I just I just really that's who you choose. But I I don't know. Maybe Andrew could pick up think of somebody else right now off the top of that my head. Maybe how about Chris 
uh, what's his name? Uh, he was in the movie Central Intelligence with with The Rock, um, Kevin Hart. I would say Kevin Hart. No, no. God, no. He's in well, everything, man. Yeah. He's in everything. But he's got that kind of fast wit dialogue, that kind of. I've been saying this since they talked about it. Jim Carrey yeah, well, would be the perfect genie. Jim Carrey should have been the genie. I mean, he is, he, he is, I mean, look, they, they might have their version of the genie, you know, you and you can't do Robin Williams. Robin Williams, nobody can be Robin Williams. But if you're trying to kind of capture some of that same vibe, Jim Carrey would have been the guy. He's a guy that can do impressions. He's a guy that is so good at improv. Um, and, and, he's, and he's a known commodity. He's somebody that people know. He's a big star. You can throw on that name. Of course, Will Smith's a big star, but he's not known for his comedy. He's been in comical action films, but he reads from a script. He's not somebody that can come up and just be funny when he wants to be. So Absolutely. that's what's kind of weird to me is they went with an actor that is more of a personality than he is somebody that has genuine comedy talent. Um, but, you know... Uh, yeah, and no. what did you think of this? Well, it, it, it's interesting because yet again we're talking about another live-action Disney film. Um, I didn't think they would be able to make this Aladdin film without really heavily changing things, and they—I I, kind of give them credit for trying very hard to get, um, you know, uh, ethnically appropriate actors to play these roles. I mean, they could have. They, you know, they could have gone a little, a little harder. I mean, like that that report we were hearing earlier in the week, where they they couldn't find Aladdin. Like they they went through thousands of you know screen tests and auditions, and they couldn't find one. Well, apparently they did, and that was a load of of nothing, you know. And I know Naomi Scott. They've been talking about with week. They they were also um, it was either between Naomi Scott and another actress who I can't remember what her name was. She wasn't well known either. I think they went with Naomi Scott because she is more well-known. Granted, she's only done certain things with the with, with Disney Channel, so she's kind of already in-house. And she has singing background, and she was just in the Power Rangers movie. So she's been, she kind of fits all the bills I think they wanted, you know, singing, kind of an in-house talent, and has already been in the public eye. So they went with her. Granted, I mean, a lot of people have been discussing her ethnicity. You know, she is... Only she's half Indian. She's not Middle Eastern. I mean, you can have those arguments all the time. I mean, Hollywood will always, you know, have these problems. But I like the fact that they went with a relative unknown in Mina Mossad, which is very interesting to me because it's someone we don't know. And it's kind of really open to whether he is right for the role or not. We couldn't say because a lot of us aren't familiar with his work. And for those of you who are, you probably can comment on whether he is or not. But yeah, I, I'm very interesting how just this film is going to be made because Guy Ritchie is one of the most unique stylized directors working today. Like, just go watch his his movies and you'll see. So is he going to bring a lot of that to Aladdin? That doesn't really mesh well with really anything Disney has been doing or has ever done. I mean, John Favreau doing uh, The Jungle Book and Lion King, that feels like it has that Disney style, that Disney magic to it. Guy Ritchie, on the other hand, is... Is very different than that, but apparently he found the actors that he wants. Will Smith is genie. Will, Will Smith has a big personality. He's he has been comedic, he has done comedic roles in the past, but man, everybody is going to compare him to Robin Williams. Everybody is, and it's not going to work. It's just there's no comparison. Jim Carrey would have been one 
who maybe could have could have made the comparison going toe to toe, and it would have been you know very interesting to compare. But Will Smith, I'm almost like, I mean, is he just going to be doing the voiceover and stuff like that? How are they going to really make it work? Because they, he can't emulate the same dialogue that that Robin Williams was doing. That was unique to him. So who knows? Who knows how this is going to work? I'm 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 intrigued by it, and yet again. Disney is going to keep on redoing these, regardless of what we think. So that's that. Yeah, it's the it's a big money maker for them. No matter how good these movies are, they're going to probably make money just on their their name recognition alone. Um, but I do love Aladdin. I definitely will will be checking this out. I'm sure. And yeah, Guy Ritchie's just such a interesting choice. I don't. I mean, I can't wait to see you know Jaf- Jafar played by Nicolas Cage just beat the crap out of. Aladdin, because that's what I want. If Nicolas Cage is Jafar, I will, I will definitely see this movie. Yeah, they haven't casted Jafar yet, and I'm really curious what we're going to get from Jafar. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I just, I just put it out there in the in the ethos, you know, uh, Nicolas Cage for Jafar. Uh, Vinny, Vinny Jones, uh, Jason Statham, <laughs> yeah. ben, Kingsley, ben Kingsley. Ben Kingsley would be is another one who's played multiple ethnicities, and and uh, you know, Alfred Molina is another one who is playing roles that aren't appropriate to who he is no one knows ben kingsley or no one knows the ethnicity of ben kingsley or alfred molina apparently <laughs> well it's going to be interesting uh I, I, we'll, we'll keep up with this as we go forward but we're down to our last story and this is the big the big the big deal the big one um you know we had the marvel panel uh at d23 we had everybody come on stage we had every hero you know even down to the the second tier heroes the winter soldiers we had the you know Everybody was on stage, and then they just showed a clip. They showed a, a teaser trailer for uh, Avengers: Infinity War, and um, of course, we can't. We, it's not to the public. We don't know it. But in a brief description, apparently, we get the Guardians of the Galaxy flying into space. Thor hits the spaceship. He's unconscious in space, and apparently, he's wearing very similar gear to what he'll be wearing in Thor Ragnarok. So apparently, Thor Ragnarok picks up right. Of right behind Infinity War, and so they bring them in, and then we get to see shots of Earth in ruins, uh, with everybody Spider-Man in his new suit, which we see in Homecoming, um, and we see apparently this movie. The big thing about this was we get to see Thanos like throwing planets or like throwing asteroids. Like apparently it's super crazy. Um, the fan reaction to it was was huge. Everybody loved it. Everybody I've watched videos of have said that they really loved this uh, trailer. Hopefully, we'll get something uh, with Comic Con or something that will release so we can see it. Um, but uh, Dan, what did you think of all the reactions and all the things you've heard about what this trailer entailed? Yeah, there was there was scenes of uh, Scarlett Johansson with uh, uh, blonde hair, which in real life she has blonde hair. So in the com in the movies, it's probably a wig or she changed her color. Uh, Captain America is walking around with a beard, like like he's a bum, like nobody's seen him in weeks and months and stuff. Then this Spider-Man, like this ma- massive like thing is coming towards a train that Spider-Man's Peter Parker's on, and we see his hair on his skin uh, flare up on his skin. So everybody's up. Spider sense means for all the talk about there's no Spider sense in um, in Spider-Man: Homecoming. Well, the Spider sense in Infinity War, obviously. So, so stop talking about Spider-Man and Spider-Sense. Uh, but uh, and then there's a talk about this thirty-character half 
hour long battle scene that is like ridiculous. Like all kinds of people are in this scene. I'll tell you what. I mean, if if if, if you do what you do with the Lord of the Rings, where you gave the culmination of the Lord of the Rings up eleven Oscars and all that stuff. And this movie is as good, if not better, than the Return of the King and this this ten year this ten year this ten year odyssey that we've all been on. Twenty two movies. It'll end up being twenty two movies in ten years of and this is the culmination of that, and it's as good as all of us think it is. Could this be the one that could say, you know what, Marvel? Kudos to you guys. You guys really gave film goers, kids and women and fathers and mothers and uncles and aunts the greatest 10 years of movie going in any era that that could have ever existed in this trailer. If this trailer is any indication of what this film is going to be, then this could be the culmination of one of the greatest things in the history of movies. Yeah, Dan, you're building this up really crazy, man. That's the history of movies, biggest thing in it. That, wow, that's uh, he's been watching. He's been watching all the movies recently. He's he's hyped right now. Um, uh, Andrew, what did you think of all this this hype for this this trailer and and the reactions to it? Uh, yeah, I mean the hype is real for this. This is their big payoff. This is what they've been building to, and it better be as good as our anticipation is of it. Because if it's not and people were let down in any way, I mean, it's going to, you know, it'll be, it'll be, a, it'll, it won't be a bomb. It's going to make money. We'll be there. I'll be there. I'll probably go a few times. You know, the usual stuff will happen. But I mean, yeah, there's a lot of anticipation for it because they've been teasing Thanos since the post credit scene in Avengers. And that is, that's going on years now. That was what, five years or so ago, five, six years. So we are really kind of, um, you know, we're ready for it. I think we are ready for it. And I want to see the stakes be raised through the roof. I want them to dial it up to 11. I want to see people die. I want to see peril. I want to see real fear. I want to see dramatic weight. I want to see, I want to see a big payoff in a big way. You can't have Thanos throwing moons and throwing planets and, and just have people have scratches. It's not going to work. We really need it. We read it. We deserve it as fans. I mean, they've been they've been you know teasing us all this time. And yeah, the footage they released some footage for Civil War. I remember, and they didn't really they they never really ended up releasing that until they put it into like the trailer that they released a few months later. But hopefully, it, there'll be some type of or some type of trailer reveal at Comic Con. I guess they're just going to show the same footage again for the people at Comic Con. Which is not necessarily a bad thing, but I, I want to see it. Just release it. We're, we already have the description for it anyway. Like Stephen read, there, there's like line by line uh, descriptions of this. We know what it looks like. Just show it to us. Stop playing around, Marvel. Come on now. You already got our money. What? We're not going to go see it after we see the footage. Come on. Yeah. Well, I'm. I, you know, I, I'm messing with Dan, but I, I definitely, uh, I, I'm with him. I'm, I'm. I'm. I think that this could be. Uh, this could be a big deal, man. This is this is the first time we've seen something like this where interconnected universe that's that's been leading to a big epic finale of sorts uh, pay off. I mean, this it's just huge, and um, it better pay off because apparently they've they're spending like five hundred million dollars a movie on both of these Infinity War movies. So it better pay off because they're going to lose a lot of money if it doesn't 
But I think we know for sure that this is probably going to make uh, definitely a billion, if not two billion dollars, because it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me because when a movie like Avatar makes it to two billion dollars, and if this doesn't make it to two billion dollars, there's something wrong with the world, uh, and I don't know what it is. I'm I'm quoting Aerosmith, um, but it, it's yeah. I mean, it, I can't wait. It's it's it's. The way this sounds, it sounds epic. Dan, did you have anything else you wanted to say? Yeah, well, in the, in some of the description of some of the trailer, there's team-ups. We're going to see, like, Doctor Strange team up with this person and Thor team up with the Guardians of the Galaxy. And, and all these strange team-ups, you're like, oh, my God, it's the comics. It's like you're going to get to see the Hulk in, in some of these crazy scenes. And, and then also the children of Thanos. You're not just going up against Thanos. You're going up against the children of Thanos. And they showed a photo of like these giant statues of all this, the children of uh, Thanos at the uh, at D23. And so, I mean, these characters, who ever thought we'd see these characters in a movie, let alone Thanos? I mean, they're, they're crazy looking characters. If you read the comics and you've seen these statues, they are not normal looking characters. And so uh, it's just going to be amazing. I just, I just cannot wait. I, I want to see this trailer now, please. Yeah, I, th I think we're gonna get something here in the next week or so. I think somebody's gonna, it's gonna leak, and they're gonna be like, "Screw it, we're gonna put it online, whatever." But um, that's it, guys. That's it. That was our last news story for this episode. I want to thank everybody that's here. Uh, Dan Skip Allen, where can they find you? You can always find me at Dan Skip Allen on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. I also do a show called The Top Five Weekly on the. Best Damn Movie Show YouTube channel, and um, I do a podcast with my co-host Vincent Laspada called The Best Damn Movie Show, and also we do a series between the three of us. We do a series called The 52 Must-See Movies and Why They Matter, and we do a new episode every week, so if you like classic movies and you want to see classic movies broken down and see why they're essentials, go to The Best Damn Movie Show and check out those episodes as well. And Andrew... You can find me on Twitter at Cabzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Cabzilla Productions. Awesome, awesome. And you can find, uh, you find this show, of course, on Film Club Central, along with a lot of other things, Rapid Reactions. Uh, we do Film Club Movie Show. Um, and also, of course, I uh, and sometimes some other people from my channel, we, we pop on Dan Show, um, Top 5 Weekly, and things like that. But that's going to be it for this episode of Lights, Camera, News. We will see you next week. And uh, hopefully we'll have another great group of uh, news topics. We will see you.